Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 61 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vince Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we are right back in the flow of the season. We had had that two-week break. We came out of it last week. We had that one game to analyze for the previous episode, but now we're starting to get our groove back a little bit. The Rangers have played three games since that break, and now they're looking ahead with 32 games left in the season that they're going to squeeze into these next two months, just about, and things are going to happen pretty fast, and the schedule looks like it's going to move along at a really steady pace. So, to get us set for some of these games down the stretch, our guest this week is going to be Matt Venzel. Many of you might remember him. I had him on the podcast a couple years ago to talk about when the Rangers actually had signed Jack Johnson, believe it or not. He covers the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and and Matt does a great job with them. So had him on because if you look at the way the divisional race is shaping up in the Metro right now, it's pretty clear that the four teams who look like they're on the way to the playoffs are the Rangers, the Penguins, the Hurricanes, and the Capitals. Earlier this season, we've already had Samantha Bell, who covers the Washington Capitals. We've had Sarah Sivian, who covers the Carolina Hurricanes. The one team that's in the race that we have not had a chance to kind of dissect and break down so far is the Penguins, because the Rangers haven't played them yet. They will play them for the first time on Saturday in Pittsburgh. So we're going to have Matt on the show this week to talk a little bit about what's been going on in Pittsburgh this season, what's been going on with Sidney Crosby and all those guys, how legit is the team, what are their strengths, weaknesses, what might they do at the trade deadline. We dive into a bunch of different stuff. So we'll have Matt on in just a little bit to, to talk about some of that stuff. In the meantime, another reason that I want to have Matt on and, and sort of the topic, I think, at this point in the schedule is that if you look at these final 32 games for the Rangers, nine of them, are going to be played against either the Hurricanes, the Capitals, or the Penguins. They've only played the Capitals once so far this season. They've only played the Hurricanes once so far this season. And they haven't played the Penguins, as I mentioned, at all. So now you've got this jam-packed back end of the schedule where these teams are all tight near the top of the standings. I think a lot of people believe the Hurricanes are the best team. They're currently in first place. We, we talk about that with Matt a little bit, too, his impressions of the division and which team he thinks is the best. But as far as the divisional title race, it is very much up in the air. So what I asked a few players about during the last day or two, especially it was a, it was a big topic of conversation following Tuesday's practice, is how much does this divisional title mean? We talked last week with Dan Rosen about how if you look at the Eastern Conference right now, the eight teams that are going to the playoffs look like they're pretty much set. It would be a huge shock if any of those teams fell out of it and another team passed one of them. There's a big gap in the conference right now between the top eight and the bottom eight. So where does that leave the Rangers? Are they gung-ho? Do they feel that it's really important for them to do all that they can to win the Metro Division, to lock up home ice advantage in the playoffs? Or is that kind of a secondary concern and is the bigger concern just making sure that you get there, trying to make sure that you're playing the way you want to play and making sure that you're healthy. And to be honest, the impression that I'm getting from the team, and I think it's kind of the right answer, is that their bigger concern is just getting in, ironing out their own kinks, feeling good about the way that they're playing. 
Adam Fox today was pretty blunt when I asked him about it. And he was like, listen, we just want to get in. We understand that home ice advantage would be a nice thing to have, but we see every single year there are teams that get in that had a better regular season record and end up losing to another team in an early round that, that finished a regular season with a worse record. So I don't sense, nor do I think that it should be, that the Rangers are really hyper-focused on these divisional games mean so much more than the others. Gerard Gallant has has repeatedly said that he just cares about collecting points. He doesn't care who the opponent is. He just wants to collect as many points, give themselves as much cushion as possible so that they know they're comfortably in the playoffs, and then they worry about opponents and matchups and home ice and all that stuff later on in the season. So I don't think that we're going to see the Rangers put a lot of additional stock into beating the Washington Capitals on Thursday or beating the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday. I think it will be interesting to see how they perform against those teams. I think it will be a good challenge. It will be a good gauge as far as where they stand against some of the better teams in the conference. But it does not seem like the Rangers care a whole lot about whether they finished first, second, third, or fourth in the division as long as they know that they're comfortably in the playoffs. I think Fox's comments were kind of telling today. And and the other thing that you have to think about when it comes to the NHL playoffs is winning the division doesn't really give you a whole lot. There's not a lot of extra incentive to do it like there is in, let's say, football. Although it's different this year because only the top seed in each conference for the NFL got a bye. In In the past, it was the top two seeds in each conference got a bye. But if you looked at that, from the perspective of if we win our division, then we have a chance of advancing around without having to worry about getting cut out of the playoffs by some underdog early in the first round. There, there's much more incentive, I think, in a situation like that when you know that you can essentially advance around by winning your division. That doesn't happen in the NHL. Eight teams get in, all eight play in the first round, and we've seen crazy things happen over the years in the NHL playoffs as far as high seeds losing to lower seeds. So the Rangers understand that, and and that's why I think that while these games will be very interesting, I think that they will be you know, some of the more intriguing games of the regular season in a lot of respects. Winning or losing these games doesn't necessarily make or break the season because whether they win the division or whether they finish in fourth, they're almost surely going to the playoffs. And they all basically said today, you know, in talking to Adam Fox and talking to Chris Kreider and talking to Gerard Gallant, that that is the most important thing in their eyes. So these games are exciting. And especially in, in looking at a team like Pittsburgh, haven't seen them yet. So very curious to see them, but Let's not go off on Twitter if they if they lose some of these games because it's not in all likelihood going to affect whether or not they make the playoffs unless they totally collapsed down the stretch. So I'm sure a lot of you are knocking on wood right now. We'll see what happens. But again, there are a lot of these divisional games, especially against the top teams in the division coming up in these final 32 games, nine of them to be exact. So that's looking ahead a little bit. In the meantime, as far as the games that the Rangers have played since we last spoke, coming out of that two-week All-Star break, they've actually picked up five out of six possible points. So again, the theme with this team all season has been collecting points no matter what, no matter how you do it, win ugly, win big, lean on your goaltender. We've seen them do all of these different things. The one constant is that they just keep racking up points. You can't always put your finger on exactly why, but 
it, it is really something. There is something to be said for the way that this team continues to find ways to win. Now, we could point to the flaws. And the hot topic of conversation recently, and it's something that I've written about extensively and something that I absolutely think needs to be at the forefront of Chris Jury's mind as we approach the trade deadline, and that is that at five on five, this team continues to struggle to score. That problem has been exasperated by the absence of Capo Caco, not that he was putting up a huge total of points. But just the whole look of the lineup, having to move guys up in his absence and then reshuffle your bottom six, which right now has very little offensive firepower at all. This is is obviously a concern for the Rangers as they head down the stretch and as they think about, okay, how do we stack up once we get to the playoffs? In these three games coming out of the break, they've only scored three five-on-five goals in total in those games, one per game. That is not giving themselves a lot of breathing room. That is not giving themselves the luxury of maybe winning some games comfortably, of not having to put a whole lot of pressure on their defense and on Igor Shosturkin, who coming out of the break has picked up right where he left off and has been awesome in goal, even almost got himself a goal scored of his own at the end of that game Sunday in Ottawa when when I thought it was going in when it came off of his stick. I don't know what you guys thought, you know, watching it from home or whatever you were doing, but it, it was it was a pretty cool moment, and and you just feel like inevitably one of these days he's going to get one, and that's going to be a really cool thing to see. But Igor keeps playing really well, and they're still finding ways to win despite this offensive lapse or lack of production that has just been an ongoing thing really throughout the season. They've had spurts where it picks up, but it hasn't been consistent enough. And as a result of that, Gerard Gallant, as we've seen the last two days at practice, is switching up the lines again. So now what it appears he's getting set to do for Thursday's game against the Capitals at MSG, he's going to keep the top line intact of Kreider, Zabanajad, and Lafreniere, which I absolutely think is the right move at this point. I believe that they have been the Rangers' best line since The break ended in these last three games, and if you look at the underlying numbers, they back that up. Their expected goal rate is like a 66% right now since they joined forces. I think it's been six games, three before the break, three after. So those guys have been good. They haven't scored as much as you would like, but if you look at their scoring chances and if you watch the dangerous situations that they seem to be setting themselves up in, I do think there's a lot to be encouraged about as far as the look of the top line right now. But after that, it looks like we're going to see some tweaks. The, the first thing that Gallant seems to have decided to do is put Dryden Hunt back on that second line with Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom. I've written about this before. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I think given the current roster, Barclay Goudreau is a better fit for them. I, I think they've played better with him on that line and the numbers back it up, but Gallant said he's looking for more balance, and I mentioned that the bottom six, the production from them has been really lackluster as far as offense goes, and listen, Gaudreau is not a guy with a reputation for producing a lot of offense, but when you weigh him against the other options, he's got 10 goals this season, he's got 21 points, nobody else in the bottom six is anywhere near that, so I think Gallant wants to move him back into the bottom six. Feels like he fits well there, and he's hoping that it it will give them a little bit of a boost or a spark. And and Gaudreau looks like he's going to play on, whether you want to call it the fourth line or the third line, 
he's going to play with Ryan Reeves and Kevin Rooney. So Hunt moves back up, which, you know, it's a questionable decision. But again, there's not really a lot of great options as far as who plays in that right wing spot next to Panarin and Strom. And then for the third line or whatever you want to call it, it looks like you're definitely going to have Philip Heedle in the middle. The question is the wings. And the Rangers started practice on Tuesday with Greg McKay at left wing and Julian Gauthier at right wing. But he's been rotating that a little bit in the last two days. So we've seen ba- Morgan Barron slot in at left wing. We've seen Morgan Barron slot in at right wing. We've seen McKay drop out. We've seen Gauthier drop out. There's been a rotation at practice the last couple days. My feeling based on seeing them start practice with McKeg there was McKeg's going to be on the left wing, Gautier's going to be on the right wing. But I actually asked Gallant about it today in the context of Morgan Barron is still a young player. He's still a developing player. You guys have made the decision with somebody like Zach Jones to send him down to the minors because Patrick Nemeth is going to, at least for the foreseeable future, play on the bottom pair with Braden Schneider. If you're concerned about Zach Jones getting consistent playing time, and that's why you sent him to Hartford, do you have the same concerns with Morgan Barron? And Gallant actually dropped a pretty strong hint in that moment and said, I think you're going to see Barron in there sooner than later. So that leads me to believe. Now, who knows? Gallant is not the most forthcoming when it comes to this information, as you guys know. But that response led me to believe that there's at least a decent chance that Morgan Barron is going to play Thursday. And I would think the logical guy to take out would be Greg McKaig. I could be wrong. I've been wrong on this before. But McKaig, you know, as an extra guy, we know Gallant really likes him. And he's kind of the perfect 13th forward for your team because you can ride him in the press box and make him a healthy scratch. And you don't feel like you're you're hurting his development. I mean, the guy's been in the league for a long time. He's in his late 20s. And then if you have to slot him in on the fourth line on a given night, you feel like he's not going to hurt you too much either. But playing him consistently every night is is far from ideal. And the Rangers have been doing that for too long, quite frankly, in my opinion. You guys know I've written about this, that I believe that Morgan Barron deserves and should get more of a look, not just for the immediate, but also for the future. Because I think next year, he's a guy that they're going to have to give serious consideration to putting in their bottom six, given the cap crunch that they're looking at. They're going to need young, cheap guys like him who are on entry-level contracts to fill roles. So I would want to develop him in the NHL right now. And maybe the Rangers are thinking the same thing, and maybe we will see Barron on that line, which would make that line look like Barron on the left wing, Heedle in the middle, Gautier in the right wing. Again, that's not a a third line that you feel super confident in right now, but what are the alternatives? There really aren't any great ones. So maybe we will see Barron in the game against the Capitals on Thursday night. Gallant at least hinted at that. Looking ahead, The trade deadline, it's obvious the Rangers need to get at least one forward to bolster this roster. I'm not going to dive into all the names right now, but I would encourage you guys to go to loha.com slash sports slash Rangers because I did what is definitely the most in-depth piece that I've done so far as far as previewing the trade deadline. That story came out on Tuesday morning. I went team by team. I've made calls on this. I've asked around about this. I've heard different things, and I've just kind of connected my own dots based on looking at rosters and looking at salary cap situations and looking at cap friendly and and sort of analyzing of all the teams that are currently sitting at a playoff position, and there's, there's a lot of them, which 
could line up as potential trade partners with the Rangers. And if the Rangers do line up with certain teams, which players on their roster might they target? So I did a very thorough breakdown of all that stuff that I would encourage you guys to go check out if you get the chance. I I also want to say a big thank you to everybody who reached out on Tuesday. We had this special deal for subscriptions that was two full years of coverage, unlimited content for two full years for a one-time payment of $22. A lot of people signed up. I actually just heard from my editor earlier today about what a jump we saw in subscriptions on that day. I really, really appreciate it. I thank you all so much who decided to, to cough up that $22 and get yourselves the two years of coverage. I promise you I will work my butt off to make it worth your while. I really hope you guys enjoy it. We're going to be, you know, we always crank out stories and we're going to continue to do so. And now is probably the most exciting time of year because we have the trade deadline coming up and then we have the playoffs coming soon after that. So perfect time for you to sign up. Really appreciate everybody who did. Those of you who didn't, and still might want to consider it, we do still have some pretty good deals going on, especially where you can start with a really low payment. So if you're interested, let me know. I can definitely hook you up with some links. But wanted to just quickly shout out everybody who signed up on Tuesday. The offense was the the main subject of the trade deadline stuff, and, and particularly looking at forwards that the Rangers might be looking to acquire. But the last thing I want to touch on here before we get to our interview with Matt And that is this, that while we're going to knock the Rangers for their lack of scoring at five on five, and deservedly so, the one thing that I also think simultaneously needs to be acknowledged is that the Rangers have noticeably tightened things up on defense in these last few weeks, month, whatever you want to call it. I I looked this up for a story that I wrote on Tuesday. In their last eight games, the Rangers have allowed fewer than 10 high danger scoring chances against in six of those eight games. I just anecdotally from watching the games felt like, Hey, I'm not seeing as many odd man rushes against. I'm not seeing as many breakaway opportunities. I'm not seeing Igor have to stand on his head quite to the same level that we saw him earlier in the season. And you can just see that the Rangers seem to be making fewer defensive mistakes, fewer neutral zone turnovers, fewer of those things that were leading to those high danger scoring chances for their opponents. I really do believe that they've done a pretty good job of playing, I'll call it low event hockey. It's it's not the most exciting brand of hockey. We're not seeing them score a whole lot, but we're seeing them give up even less. And of course, the goalie gets a lot of credit for that. But if you look at the numbers, as far as scoring chances, as far as expected goals, as far as actual goals, as far as shots allowed, the Rangers have decreased those numbers all pretty significantly, especially when you look at that last eight-game sample size that I'm citing. Now, eight games does not necessarily mean that everything's fixed and that the the defense is going to be cured going down the stretch, but in those eight games, they rank in the top 10 in the league in both actual goals against and expected goals against, and those are encouraging trends. So while the scoring needs to improve, there's no doubt about that. I do think that there needs to be some credit given for the fact that the Rangers are playing much better defense. I think the forwards, for the most part, have doing a better, been doing a better job of whether it's staying in the structure, getting back into the defensive zone, and especially cutting down on their turnovers. I also think that the continuity on defense, particularly the top four, Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, and then Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba. Miller in particular 
He's been one of the most impressive players for me recently. I really feel like we're seeing him blossom before our eyes. And a lot of that upside and potential that we've talked about with him over the years is really starting to surface. He looks like he's playing with a higher level of confidence than I think at any other time in his two-year stint with the Rangers so far. So with those top four guys looking really solid right now and Gallant leaning on them a lot, all of this stuff is adding up to the Rangers becoming, in front of our eyes, a better defensive team. And that's a good sign because if they can find ways to add that scoring, whether it's Kako coming back, trade deadline acquisition, I think they're hoping a combination of both, then you're looking at a more complete team. So last thing I want to touch on before we get to our interview is definitely the defensive stuff and how I feel like we're seeing strides. And so while we talk about lack of offense on one hand, which is definitely a relevant conversation, we also at the same time should be having the conversation about this improved defense that we're seeing. And I'm very curious to see if that trend continues. All right. That's going to do it for the opening segment here. Let's get to our interview with Matt Venzel, and then I'll be back to answer some of your Twitter questions after that. Now let's welcome back to the show a guest who we had on a couple years ago to talk about the Jack Johnson signing. If you, if you can remember that, it seems like forever ago, but it was only a couple of years ago. And you, you can't say he didn't warn us. That would be Matt Venzel from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He covers the Penguins for them. And now he's going to help us get ready for this first matchup of the season between the Rangers and the Pens. It's hard to believe that the Rangers are over 50 games into the season and still haven't played what looks to be one of their chief rivals in the division, a team that they're certainly vying for positioning in the standings with right now. So wanted Matt to kind of dive into all this with us. So Matt, it's been a while. We haven't we haven't seen you in a couple of years as far as the last time that we zoomed and and the Rangers haven't seen the Penguins in a while. So I guess we're, we're finally ready for them to uh, see how they match up with one another. Yeah, well, I mean, the Penguins look a lot like the team that you saw a couple of years ago or last year. So um, some faces change, but, you know, the, the main ones are the same. And stylistically, they're pretty much the same team they've been for better yeah. or for worse. Yeah, and, and it, it it feels like everyone is just kind of waiting for their aging core to fall off. And I believe we talked about this a little bit last time we had you on. And they started slowly this season. So I think people were wondering if maybe this would be a year where they missed the playoffs, but then they took off and they got super hot. And now they're, they're right there in in the playoff picture. It looks like it would take a total collapse for them to miss out on it. So it looks definitely like they're on their, their way to the postseason. Just give us a feel of, of what it's been like around the team this year and how it's played out for them. Yeah. So, I mean, this team deal dealt with a lot of uh, injuries and, and COVID stuff in the first half of the season, like many teams around the league. I mean, Sidney Crosby missed the first seven games. I think it was, um, he had wrist surgery. He's had a wrist issue that's nagged him for a while. Um, and he, he got the surgery done a couple of weeks before camp, which wasn't ideal. So they were without him. They were without Evgeny Malkin, who was, you know, recovering from, you know, surgery to repair a torn ACL. Without some other guys too. So they had a losing record in October. They started getting guys back and they've been on a roll. I mean, they've won, you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's something like 26, 10, and four, something like that, since Sidney Crosby got back in the lineup. So they've taken off. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still the same guys. Um, you know, I think Sid started a little slowly by his standards just because he missed time, you know, with the wrist surgery. 
Then he missed two weeks due to COVID. And then the Penguins had five games postponed over the Christmas break. So over the last month, he's looked more like himself with 10 goals and 15 games. Evgeny Malkin's been back for a month. Um, He's boosted their power play, but it's still the same kind of good and bad with him um, for as as much as he does for the power play and as impactful as he can be. He also has bad giveaways. And then Latang. Um, up until a couple of weeks ago, was arguably a, a top 10 defenseman in the league again. So, you know, I, I, those three guys, I don't know that they're playing at the, you know, the, the level they were when they were at their peak, um, but they're still pretty good. Um, and then you, you have the typical Penguin stuff where you have these random players fill in like Evan Rodriguez, you know, suddenly learning how to score goals and Tristan Jari has bounced back from last year's playoffs disaster. So, you know, once again, they found a way to to be right here in the mix for a, a playoff spot and a division title. Let's start with, with Crosby. Obviously, he's the face of the franchise, but he's still racking up over a point per game. You mentioned that maybe he started a little slow by by his standards, but has picked it up. Is Obviously, he's not going to be quite at the level that he was at in his prime, but are there signs of, of, of the aging setting in, or does he still look like you know one of the top centers in the league to you? I mean, obviously, he's had a little bit of decline just in his physical abilities. I mean, he's 34 years old, but um, for the most part, I mean, he's still an elite player. Um, you know, over the last month, he's he's really, you know, picked up his play and kind of got it back to close to where we've seen previously. Um, you know, we get stats from Sports Logic, and he's had the puck in the offensive zone for like 12 seconds more per game. You know, his shots from the slot have gone up. He's getting a lot more chances off the rush. So, you know, it looks like he's getting back to being that dominant player. I mean, I don't know if he's, you know, a top five player in the league anymore, but he's certainly somewhere in the top 15. Um, And he's just such a tone setter for this team. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche and you run out of things to say about, you know, a guy who's going to go down as one of the top five, 10 players in the league. But he, he really just continues to amaze with, you know, his playmaking, um, you know, his scoring surge recently and, and his leadership. So, you know, I don't know if the Penguins will will have another deep run in them with this core. Um, you know, we could be looking at some big changes here in the offseason in Pittsburgh, but um, he's certainly a really good player. And if you surround him with the right players, um, you know, this team still has a chance at maybe winning one more cup before it all is said and done with him. Latang is an interesting one to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he had dropped off a little bit in recent seasons. And then all of a sudden this year, it's like fountain of youth or I don't know what's going on, but it, it, you know, statistically, I think he's right at a point per game and, and everything that I've been hearing around the league is that he, he has definitely been back to what people expected from him earlier in his career in a lot of ways, it looks like. Yeah. You could say last year too. And the big difference is Todd Reardon came back. Um, Todd Reardon, the former Washington Capitals head coach, he was kind of a flop there. Would he, would he last two seasons as head coach after yeah. Barry Trotz left? But, um, you know, he was here in Pittsburgh from 2010 to 2014, right when Chris Letang was ascending to, to you know, getting to a near Norris level. Um, and he's kind of known as a defenseman whisperer. So he came back and, um, you know, the results were obvious right away. I mean, he got Chris to cut down on his giveaways Um, That was just a big problem. Like, you know, Chris is a talented player. He takes a lot of gambles um, and he just was getting too reckless. So um, that's helped a lot getting Chris to rein that in, just play within himself more. I mean, you know, Chris Letang is a guy who's dealt with a lot of health issues too. I mean, neck surgery, 
um, a few years back, he had a stroke and he's just a workout warrior. I mean, right up there in terms of work ethic with Sidney Crosby. Um, so he's still in great shape at 34 and they're going to have a decision to make with him as a free agent. But yeah, I mean, he's, uh, up until two weeks ago, he was, he was once again, I thought playing like a guy who should get consideration for Norris ballots the last couple of weeks, that's brutal giveaways. Mm. Um, and he's such a polarizing player here. I mean, as good as he is, same thing with Malkin. I mean, for all those guys have done, um, you know, they, they're gamblers and there's just a big segment of the fan base here that will be happy, um, if the Penguins get rid of either of those two guys. Um, but I see the value in Chris. I can kind of live with his gambles um, because you see the risk reward. And also his skating is still excellent. And he cleans up so many plays um, that be more difficult players for other blue liners just with his skating and his anticipation. It's interesting you talk about the gambles because the Rangers in their first year under the new head coach, Gerard Gallant, that's been a real point of emphasis. He talks a lot about, he calls them the cute plays, the East-West plays, where you've got guys like Artemi Panarin who are brilliant passers and are always looking to make the extra pass or, or, or make the nifty play or, or do, you know, do those kind of East-West things that will result in some ridiculous highlight goals at times, but it also results in turnovers and then odd man rushes going the other way, and then that can burn them. I, the Rangers have actually tightened that up recently, and, and they've been playing more of this kind of low-scoring style, but that, that's something that I think when you have high-end players like that, as you touched on with a couple guys in the Penguins, they're always looking to make that play because they have it in them. They have the vision, they have the skill, they have the playmaking, but it can also burn you at times. And I, and I, it sounds like there's been some frustration from, from Penn's fans for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been a tug of war with Mike Sullivan and, and Malkin and Latang pretty much for like six, seven years. I mean, he came in and won a cup his first year and then another one after that. And still it's just a constant tug of war of getting those guys to, you know, play a little bit within the structure. I mean, he understands that they're unique talents um, and he's got to give them a little bit of leeway. Um, he just kind of wants them to meet him in the middle. Um, and it's still work in progress, especially with Malkin, um, you know, coming back from the knee surgery. I, I think he's looked a lot better the last couple of weeks. Now that he's kind of got his timing back and his skating back um, and a little bit more juice with his game. Now it's just getting them to rein it in. But, you know, there's a school of thought here that like whenever a guy like Malkin returns to the lineup, like everyone forgets how to play hockey um, and, and starts to pick up some of his bad habits. And, you know, I don't know if I necessarily bought into that narrative previously, but the, the, the odd man's against and breakaways have ticked up here the last three, four weeks. Um, and that's tied to turnovers and gambles. Uh, Latang's done it as well. So, you know, that's that's a big storyline here in Pittsburgh because the team was on an unbelievable roll. I think they won 17 of 19 and they're still winning games. But you do see signs of slippage and they played Carolina for the first time on Sunday. And some of those mistakes cost them dearly against a team that I think is probably the best in division. And I think that'll be a point of emphasis for this game on Saturday is both teams have this tendency to occasionally get sloppy with their puck management, whichever team can take better care of it and prevent some of those high danger chances. Some of those breakaways and odd man rushes probably will have the best chance of winning the game. The other factor will be goaltending. You touched on Tristan Jari having a really good season. I think his save percentage at last I saw was like over 920. Igor Shosturkin is up near 940 right now. He's having an incredible season, I think, as far as the, the Vesna Trophy. He's got to be right near the top of the list. But Jari, with the season that he's having, is there is there a lot of confidence that he, he's good enough to, to take them on a playoff run, or are there still some skeptics out there? 
Uh, I think like internally there's cautious optimism that he's turned a corner. I mean, you can't understate how much of a disaster his first postseason was last year. I mean, everybody saw the blunder he made in double overtime in game five against the Islanders, but really he was the main reason they lost three of those four games. I mean, the Penguins feel they were the better team than the Islanders. And I, I would agree. Um, and I know Ron Hexall, a former goalie himself, has kind of pointed to guys like um, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jonathan Quick, who he had in L.A., um, you know, Patrick Wide, believe it. I mean, some of these – well, not Patrick Wide, but um, some of these goalies earlier in their career had struggles, um, and their team stuck with them, and they eventually broke through. I mean, his point was, look, we can't just, like, move on from this guy just because he had a bad postseason. We need to give him a chance to, to, to prove he can – overcome it. So he's, uh, he's delivered so far. I mean, he's been really good. He's been arguably the team's best player this year. Um, but there's still an unknown when it comes to the postseason. is, is there going to be a mental block is, is, um, he going to be able to put what happened last year behind him. But as far as the regular season concern, um, he, he's been excellent. Um, he, his play has kind of dipped slightly since maybe where it was a couple months ago, but that's, I mean, to be expected because he was playing unbelievable. But, um, you know, I don't know if I would, if I will strongly consider him for the Vezina. I mean, Igor, for example, is probably going to be my pick. Um, but I do think Jari has been somewhere in that like six to 12 range of NHL goalies this year. Um, you know, in, in the regular season, that's been huge for this Penguins team, especially with all the injuries and stuff we were talking about earlier. So we, we've talked about the, the, the star players. Everybody knows we talked about the goaltending. You, you touched on this a little bit too, that they have guys like Evan Rodriguez, Jake Gensel, I believe leads the team in scoring Brian rust. It seems that they have these guys who are a little bit younger than the Crosby's and the Malkins who are having good seasons and maybe giving them, you know, a little more of a supporting cast. I'm curious if you think the supporting cast is good enough if you do have any deeper concerns with this roster and then what you see maybe them targeting with the trade deadline coming up? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are concerns about the sporting cast. I mean, we all thought that there would be bigger changes after last year. I mean, not only was it their third straight early exit in the postseason, um, you also had a new front office who came in, um, you know, with Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. So we thought there would be more changes, but they, they really – you know, decided to run it back. Um, so you can debate whether this team can still win playing the style of play um, that they do in the playoffs. I mean, they obviously won two cups, you know, five, six years ago, but their core players are that much older and the the game is kind of trended back a little bit more towards the, the physical side in the playoffs. So you have questions about that, but, you know, right now they're very much a, a top heavy team. Um, you mentioned Gensel and Rust. I mean, they're playing unbelievable. I mean, Rust has been, I think he has like 15 goals in his last 18 games or something like that. Um, you know, that top line of Gensel, Crosby and Rust has been carrying the offensive burden. They haven't got a ton of middle six scoring at five on five. Um, you know, Casper Kapanen has been a disappointment. It could be trade fodder. Jason Zucker is out of the lineup. Evan Rodriguez is cold off. So that's a big problem for them right now is just kind of the, the supporting cast there. And then on the blue line, I mean, they've used the same three defensive pairs for three plus months. Um, so that continuity has helped them a lot defensively. In terms of what they could do at the deadline, they, they really don't have that much 
cap flexibility. Ron Hextall does not want to give up his first round pick because the Penguins have one of the, you know, the, the shallowest prospect pools. Um, and he's also hasn't been a guy who's made a lot of player for player trades. So, you know, th- there's obvious needs on this team. Um, you know, backup goalie is one in case, you know, Tristan Jari struggles again. Do you want a more proven guy like Yaroslav Halak who could come in? Um, Brian Burke has talked a lot about, oh, we need to get some big boys on the blue line. Um, those are expensive. And they also could use a, a power forward type, but it's just they're not going to be able to get all three of those things. They might not even be able to get one unless they make a player for player trade, something that Ron Hexel really hasn't done. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, last year it looked like they wouldn't make any moves at all. And then the team played so well and they found an ideal fit in Jeff Carter um, didn't have to give up a lot. And he's been a great, great fit and they've re-signed him. Um, maybe, maybe it'll just be a perfect kind of fit like that to look for, but I wouldn't expect anything seismic. Um, you know, I don't get the sense that they're going to do a player for player trade and move like a guy like Zucker or Kapanen or Marcus Pedersen to add in a different type of player. It's interesting because some of those concerns, especially when you talk about the five on five scoring are similar for the Rangers. The, the, the Rangers have the firepower up top in Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider. But then after that, there's a real lack of depth as far as their scoring and their power play has carried them. It's top three in the league right now, but their five on five numbers are way below. Even when you look at, I I actually wrote a story last week where we were comparing it to the top teams in the division. And if you look at the average five on five goals per game for the hurricanes, the capitals, the penguins, it's all higher than the Rangers. So I think that's where the Rangers are definitely looking for this trade deadline as well. But on the other hand, where it sounds like the penguins are tight on cap space, don't have a lot of assets, prospects, draft picks to surrender. The Rangers are loaded with those things. So they do have some ammo to go out and make an addition, which I definitely think they're looking to do right now. Last question for you, or maybe second to last. The the division, you, the, the, the Penguins, you, we were just talking about the quirks of this schedule. The Rangers have not played the Penguins yet. They've only played the Capitals once. They've only played the Hurricanes once. The Penguins just played the Hurricanes for the first time the other night. My opinion right now is I think the Hurricanes are the best team in the division. Do, do you see it the same way? Do you think that the Penguins, because of all their experience, should be right in that mix? Or, or who do you, how do you kind of see this division playing out? And, and who do you think is the front runner uh, going into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, this whole year has played out a lot like what I thought it would be. I mean, I thought Carolina was clearly the, the team to beat and would be, you know, one of the very elite cup contenders. And that has been borne out. Finally got to see them for the first time in two years uh, on Sunday. And while the final score was four three, I mean, I, I think they very clearly were the the better team than the Penguins faster. Uh, and that's not great for a team that builds itself on speed like the Penguins do. Um, so, so they're great. They've gotten good goaltending too. Um, I like the Rangers a lot heading into the year. I actually picked them in the playoffs, make the playoffs last year. I think I might've been a little bit early on that. Um, you know, I don't know if they're as, as, as deep as Carolina, but Shosturkin is an X factor. I mean, he is a stud and, and, has the potential to steal series. Um, so I, I kind of have the Rangers and the Penguins kind of on the same level there. Um, you know, I, I'm waiting for the caps to fade, but I mean, like many around the league who've been waiting for the pens and the caps to fade, they, they still find a way to keep winning. But I mean, these are the four playoffs team. I would be, you know, stunned if, if, you know, something were to change there. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it really is Carolina and these other three teams and it all could come down to, who matches up with whom to see who comes out of there. But, you know, Carolina is my pick and I see the Penguins as more of a, a second tier contender. I mean, I don't, I don't have them in like the top 
probably five, six teams in the league, even though, you know, point percentage wise they are right there. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think we're on the same page. I definitely see the hurricanes as the most viable contender from the division. And then I think that next year is Rangers, penguins caps and, and what happens at the trade deadline could, you know, could kind of alter that order a little bit, but the hurricanes to me are the, are the clear favorite right now. All right, Matt, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. My last thing for you, and you, do, you don't have to answer it now if you want to take some time to think about it. I'm looking for a restaurant recommendation in Pittsburgh on Saturday night. So let me know, DM me, or unless you want to just shout someone out now. But uh, I, I'm looking around and asking around a little bit because my first trip to Pittsburgh was supposed to be in 2020. I had it scheduled, and then the pandemic hit, and the Rangers never played in Pittsburgh that 1920 season, which my, was my first season on the beat. Last season, obviously, no travel, Zoom only. So now this is going to be my first trip to Pittsburgh. So I've heard good things about the food scene there, and, and I'm looking forward to, to hopefully getting a good meal on Saturday night. I will give you a, a neighborhood recommendation. Okay. Lawrenceville. Lawrenceville. Okay. I, I'm guessing you're staying downtown. Yes. Um, it's probably like a five-minute uh, car ride, lift ride, Uber ride, whatever you got there. Um, a bunch of a bunch of great bars, a bunch of great restaurants. There's a lot of good things to choose from, but that would be my pick. Um, is to go down there unless you want a, a sandwich with French fries and coleslaw on it, then obviously there's Permanis. But um, that's not exactly fine dining. That's more of a, a local favorite. But yeah, I would say go to Lawrenceville and, and and walk around a little bit and see what see what you find. Yeah, it's and it's a three o'clock game, so there, there'll be time to kill afterwards once I'm done writing and everything. All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate it so much. Uh, you want to quickly let people know where they can find your work, and I'll definitely be shouting you out as well leading up to the game. Sure. Yeah. Pittsburgh post gazette.com and Twitter at Matt Vensel. Cool, Matt. All right. Well, thanks again, man. It was good seeing you. Appreciate the time. Awesome. See you Saturday. And we're back. That was a fun conversation with Matt getting to know what's going on in Pittsburgh a little bit better. The Rangers will be seeing them four times in these final by then, it'll be 31 games by the time we get to Pittsburgh on Saturday. So you're going to be seeing a lot of the Penguins down the stretch. You still feel like that team, even though they're aging and clearly there are questions about how much longer they can sustain with this group, how much longer they can keep going for it with this group before they ultimately have to tear it down and build it back up. But the pedigree is there. And with some of those guys that we touched on who are sort of stepping up and helping Crosby and Malkin out a little bit this season. And the big question mark to me is also the goaltending. Will Jari respond well to his playoff failure last year? Or will that become, as Matt touched on, a little bit more of a mental block? I think that's a big question for this team once they get to the playoffs, where it obviously looks like they're heading. The other thing, that Lawrenceville suggestion, I'm definitely, I think, going to take Matt up on that. Any of you who might be familiar with the food scene in Pittsburgh... Let me know. You guys know I like to eat, and I'm looking for a good place to try because this will be my first time visiting Pittsburgh. So shoot me DM, tweet, email, whatever. Let me know. Definitely open to some suggestions there. All right. Now it is time, as always, for your Twitter questions. And there's a handful of topics I wanted to get to this week. So we're kind of going to combine a few. Might end up answering more than three. But... We're going to start with this one that a few people were asking me about, and that is, do I see the Rangers potentially trading Alexander Georgiev at the trade deadline? And if so, what kind of return are they looking for? That's kind of the gist of what people were asking about. And I also want to say this, which is completely 
unrelated to hockey, but a much more serious personal note here. One of the people who submitted a question about Georgiev was our loyal listener. You guys have heard him submit questions before. Big Lou. Another one of our listeners pointed out that Lou actually lost his mother sometime recently, I think in the past week or so. So I just wanted to send our heartfelt condolences out to Lou. We're we're thinking about you. Uh, There's really nothing I could say to make you feel better, I'm sure. But I I did want to, you know, touch on you as a loyal Rangers fan, as a loyal listener to the show. We appreciate you submitting your questions and listening every week. And I know a lot of Rangers fans are probably thinking about you and, and feeling for you right now. So just hang in there, big guy. You're definitely in our thoughts right now. So totally unrelated to this stuff, but I did hear about that this week and, and wanted to wanted to give a little shout out to Lou there. As for the Georgiev question, I think that the Rangers are definitely willing to entertain offers on him. We've talked about this before. I do believe that they looked into trading him in the past because Igor is clearly their guy. And Georgiev at, I think, around $2.5 million, I know it's like 2.4 something, I believe, but it's around $2.5 million per season. As a restricted free agent who would need a new contract again for next season, with their cap situation, they're going to have to go a cheaper route with their backup goalie next season. So I, I think it's highly unlikely that Georgiev is on the team next season. I also believe that he wants to go somewhere where he has a chance to start. So I, I do believe this is heading for somewhat of an amicable divorce. Whether that happens now or in the offseason is to be determined, but there's a, there's a valid argument to say we should wait or they should wait to get rid of him because right now, if Igor were to go down, you'd have to give serious thought about how comfortable are you having to ride Keith Kincaid or Adam Huska or whoever it is, you know, Tyler Wall, those are the options. That's next on the depth chart. If Igor were to go down for any extended stretch of time, you you would definitely feel the most comfortable with Georgiev. You've seen him get hot. You've seen him play well as a starter. It seems the more ice time he gets, the better he plays when he's struggled. It's been when his playing time is sporadic. But I think clearly if something were to happen to Igor, Georgiev would be your next best chance at winning games. If something happened to Igor, I think obviously the the Rangers' chances to to go far in the playoffs would greatly diminish. So you could, on the other hand, say, well, you know, if Igor were to get hurt, the Rangers are in a tough spot anyway. And if you can get something good for Georgiev, why not do it? I, I can see that argument as well. But I don't think the Rangers are desperately trying to get rid of him right now because of the fact that... He's their next best goalie, clearly in the organization right now. And I do think that looking down the stretch here, because they are comfortably in playoff position, they're going to use Igor a lot, but you got to be a little careful about overusing him or leaning a little too hard on him because you want him fresh and on top of his game and healthy for the playoffs. So I could see the argument both ways. It certainly would not shock me if they traded Georgiev, but I also don't think a trade is imminent at this trade deadline. I do think once you get to the offseason, there would be a little more urgency because, again, it's going to be really difficult for them to keep him, even if he's at the same salary, because they got to clear out some space so that they can solve their center situation, potentially re-sign Ryan Strom, definitely re-sign Capococco, and fill out the rest of their roster, all the stuff that we've talked about before. So 
I do think that Georgiev is probably gone by next season, but do they make it happen at the trade deadline or do they make it happen at the summer? That's that's the question. And if they wait, then you leave your roster in a little bit of a stronger position now. You give yourself the best possible backup option in the immediate future, meaning the rest of this season, in case something were to happen to Igor. So I could see it both ways. One thing that I almost touched on in my trade deadline preview is – All the teams that I looked at as far as potential trade partners for the Rangers are teams that aren't currently in playoff position. One team that is currently in playoff position that I think could maybe be an intriguing option and might have some interest in Georgiev would be the Edmonton Oilers. They've had their struggles this year. They've had a handful of issues that you could that you could discuss we know how good they are offensively. We know how good their power play is. We know how good Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle are. But goalie has been a clear weakness, a clear Achilles heel for them this season. And might they have interest in Georgiev? I think that would be a reasonable conclusion to draw. But the, what I when I looked at the Edmonton roster and asked around about this a little bit, there's nobody from the Oilers, especially as far as the forwards go, that jumps out to you as somebody who would really make a lot of sense for the Rangers. I mean, unless they're trading McDavid or Drysaddle, which we know isn't happening, there's nobody where the contract situation works out or a rental situation works out where you, you, you would really feel good about adding them into the Rangers lineup right now. Most of the guys that they have are under contract beyond this season, at least as far as their top forwards. And we know the Rangers moving forward are going to be having a really tight financial situation. So They'd have it would complicate things to bring in somebody who you're paying beyond the season, and then they don't really have any rentals that look very appealing to me. So I don't know if Edmonton works from the Rangers' perspective. They themselves might have interest in Georgiev. I think that that could be a potential fit, but I, I don't know if there is a, a current playoff team that would want to make a deal with the Rangers that the Rangers would see value in making a deal with right now could change and maybe there's a non-playoff team that has interest in Georgiev and sees him as a potential starter for them. I I don't think that the Rangers would be opposed to discussing him, but I also don't necessarily think that he would be, you know, a hundred percent gone or even, you know, 70, whatever, whatever percentage you would, you want to put on it. I'm not looking at him as a definite goner at the trade deadline, but I'm looking him at him as a very likely goner by next season. So we'll see how the timing works out. He's definitely a name I would keep an eye on. I just don't know if there's a, a, a team that I've heard about that would have a lot of interest in him that really makes a, a lot of sense for the Rangers as far as trade partner. But we'll see. A lot of things could happen in the next month, that's for sure. All right, our next question comes from Keith Chattanover, who wrote, Why can we not have nice things? i.e. a Schneider-Jones D-pair that put up excellent analytical numbers. Well, Keith, I think you guys know my feeling on this. I've been saying this for, I guess, about two weeks now, something like that, that I do think that it's time for the Rangers to just roll with the all-rookie pair of Schneider and Jones for a variety of reasons. Number one, I think that those are probably the two best options that they have right now. Uh, Number two, I think that they can work well together. You can see the complementing skill sets with the right-handed, the left-handed, the big physical defensive guy in Schneider, the smaller skill puck mover guy in Jones. I, I just think it looks to me like if you give them a run, it could work. And then the third thing is, I think that those two, 
have a very realistic shot of being your bottom D pair next season, especially because they're both on entry-level contracts and would give the Rangers a really cost-effective bottom pair next season when they're going to need cost-effective options. So if you give them an extended run now, help speed up their development a little, help them build chemistry together, then I, I think you're setting yourself up for more future success. So there's a lot of reasons why I think the Rangers should consider it. But with that being said, they sent Jones back to Hartford this week. They got Patrick Nemeth in the lineup for the first time in nearly a month for that Sunday game in Ottawa. And here's the thing. It's kind of hard to jump and scream and, and kick and, and make a big deal about Nemeth being in the lineup now because I actually thought in sun, on Sunday in Ottawa, he played one of his best games of the season. There were no glaring mistakes there were no goals while he was on the ice. I thought he looked pretty solid out there. I thought him and Schneider worked decently together. If you look at the numbers, they really did not give up very much at all. We talked about the defense improving. And I thought that Nemeth stepped in after not playing for a while and actually represented himself pretty well. So if you're going to talk about taking him out of the lineup, and we we clearly know that Gallant likes him in the lineup. They want a veteran presence on that bottom pair, whether you think it's right or wrong. That is Gallant's thinking. That is the organizational thinking. They brought Nemeth here for a reason. I actually had somebody uh, close to the team say to me the other day, listen, they're not going to go the rest of the season without playing this guy. They, they know that they need him as an option for the playoffs, and they're not just going to let him sit and get ice cold for the rest of the season. So I, I think you're going to see him get in some games, but if if the struggles creep back in, if we see some bad D zone turnovers, or if we see him, you know, getting out paced or out or sped around or, or left in the dust by other teams forwards, or just not looking good in the defensive zone in general, then I think you're going to start hearing the chatter for Jones pick back up again. And I do think that the Rangers have at least shown by playing Jones and Schneider together for a couple games, that they're not totally opposed to that idea. But right now, I actually asked Galant about it on Wednesday, and he said they want Jones playing heavy minutes. They want him to get as much development time in Hartford as possible, especially if they're not confident that they'd have him in the lineup every night in the NHL. So that's why they sent him down. But as we've seen, he's bounced back and forth plenty. So I, I, I do think that we'll hear from him and see him again this season. It could be soon. It could be later. That is to be determined. But right now... Gallant clearly wants to get Nemeth some run. And, and after the way he played in Ottawa on Sunday, I think keeping him in there and, and letting him try to build off that and seeing how he does isn't, isn't cause for alarm. If it were up to me, I think I would say I'm riding with Jones and, Sh Jones and Schneider for a little while, especially with the trade deadline coming up and you have some decisions you're going to have to make about which blue line prospects you're willing to part with. So I think seeing them play together would give you more information that would help you make that decision. But Gallant clearly wants to get Nemeth in there. Again, I was told by someone who, who who's pretty close to the situation that there, there was no way that they were just going to let Nemeth be a healthy scratch for the rest of the season. So they were going to get him back in there at some point. Played pretty well on Sunday. We'll see where it goes from here. All right. Next question comes from the New York Pangers hockey podcast. Haven't heard of them, but we'll get, <laughs> I guess, I guess would we consider them competition? We'll give, we'll give you guys a little run here and see, see what, because I think you have a good question. 
And and it's it's more of a question that I want to address because I've had so many people ask me this question in one form or another, and I've seen it circulating on the internet in the last few weeks. And I, I think it's it's maybe a little too general to have a definite yes or a definite no or a definite number. But anyway, let's get to the question. The New York Rangers Hockey Podcast wrote, how many pieces away do you believe this Rangers team is from being a contender? So people have asked me this question, and I feel like you want me to say, oh, one or two or three or whatever. The answer isn't as, isn't as black and white as that. The answer could be one. I think it's very clear to me, and I'm sure to a lot of you, that the Rangers are at least one top nine forward away from feeling like this roster is is complete might be not the right word I want to use here, but ready to go into the playoffs and give themselves a chance to win. So clearly they need at least one forward because even when you get Capo Caco back, I think the wing situation on that third line, even if you're going to keep Heedle at center, and we've had this debate about center or wing, but Heedle is going to be a top nine forward for you. He's going to he's going to stay on that third line, whether it's center or wing. But to me, Julian Gauthier, Greg McCaig, Dryden Hunt, those guys should either be on the fourth line or not in the lineup at all. If they're in your top nine, that's not a good sign for the, the depth or the state of your team. So when you get Capo Caco back, you could potentially have a Barclay Gaudreau and a Philip Hedl on the third line. I think you'd be okay with that, but you need at least one guy that you feel like is an upgrade over the Gautiers and the Hunts and the McKegs and even Morgan Barron. Morgan Barron at this point, I think if he's on your fourth line, you feel pretty good about that. and You definitely want to see him get some more playing time, but he hasn't proven enough for you to say, okay, this is a top nine forward for a playoff team where we're not there with him yet. So the Rangers need at least one forward. Ideally, it's a forward who you feel is good enough to play in your top six. But at the very least, they need somebody that can replace one of those guys on the third line. But with that being said, how good of a player are you getting? We can just touch on a few of the names that I wrote about. If you're talking about a Tomas Hurdle or a Joe Pavelski, maybe that one player is good enough to say, okay, he puts the Rangers at a level where they could at least have a chance to win in a series against any team in the league. But if you're talking about more of a, of a third-line kind of guy, then maybe they're two pieces away. Maybe it's more. It, it's, it's so hard to, to, to put an exact number on it and say th- this one number gets the job done. It really matters who that piece is and then how well they fit. And you're not going to find out how well they fit until they get here and you see them play some games. So I think the answer maybe could be one, maybe more likely it's two. But it really depends on who you go out and get. If you if you get more of a third line type of guy, then I don't know. Because then it also depends on, is Alexi Lafreniere ready to play top six minutes in the playoffs? Is Capo Caco ready to play top six minutes in the playoffs? If both of those guys are ready, then yeah, maybe you are a third line piece away. But if those guys aren't ready, and there are certainly still question marks about how ready they are to, to, to handle those kind of big responsibilities and big minutes in playoff type settings, then maybe you need a top six and a top nine forward. You know, somebody that can play in your top six and somebody that can play on your third line. So 
you know, it's it's a it's a tough question to answer. It really is. And I think that it's one of those questions where it's like fun to debate on Twitter. It's definitely a conversation starter, but it's also a question that I don't think anybody has a definitive answer to. So that's where I'd leave it with that. I, I absolutely think that the Rangers to, to make themselves feel like they're in the best situation possible need at least one forward, but the answer could end up being two or three and whatever happens past the trade deadline, especially once they get to the playoffs and we see how they perform on that stage, will just be more information that tells you, okay, well, actually they need a piece here, there, and there, and that's what they'll focus on in the offseason. So it's all a work in progress. All right, final two things. A bunch of people were asking me about Capo Caco. Have I heard anything about him? The answer is no, I have not seen him at the tra- at the training facility. As far as I know, he is not currently skating, but the Rangers have been very mum on this. We don't know exactly what the injury is, but we do know that they said at least a month. And usually they err on the side of caution with their timetables. So a lot of times when they say a month, it's going to be maybe even a little bit more than a month. So I I don't think that we're seeing him until at least sometime around the trade deadline. In all likelihood, it could be after the trade deadline. So I wouldn't go expecting to turn around and see anytime in the next couple of weeks, Capo Caco is back practicing with the team. I think it's going to be a little bit longer than that. But again, we really don't have a lot of information on this. They're not going to, they're not going to give us much. They've made that pretty clear. All right. Last thing. This is huge. Everybody. A couple people wanted to know about my meatball parm wedge. And we call it a wedge around here, not a sub or a hero or whatever else you guys call it that I was having for lunch before I recorded this podcast. And I am not going to give away the full recipe, but I'm going to give you, those of you that like to cook out there, I appreciate the cooks. I'm going to give you a couple little tips here that could help you put together the perfect meatball. So Sunday night, we had Sunday dinner, and you guys know what Sunday dinner is. It's gravy. It's it's red sauce with the meatballs and the sausage, and we had pork bits and all kinds of stuff in there. My mother made it on Sunday. We, we were at her house for dinner and took some leftovers, you know, pl- always plenty of leftovers. If you go to my mother's house for dinner, you're going to have enough food to feed the neighborhood or you're going to have enough leftovers to get you through the rest of the week. So what I like to do with the meatballs is melt a little provolone cheese or mozzarella cheese, whatever you have, put it on some fresh bread, got to have really good bread, heat it up properly, and, and that makes a great lunch. The key to the meatballs, there's a whole family secret recipe. I'm not going to give you guys the whole thing, but I'll tell you these two pointers that if you really want to make good meatballs will help you do it. Number one, my mother takes stale Italian bread and doesn't soak it, but moistens it with either a little water or sometimes even a little milk and mixes that in with her meatballs on top of the dry breadcrumbs. So you mix in your whatever kind of meat you want. I would definitely suggest 80-20 ground beef, but you mix in whatever kind of meat you want, whatever kind of seasonings you want. I'm not going to give away all the secrets here, but add a little, on top of the dry breadcrumbs, add a little stale bread that you you know mix in with a little bit of water or milk or something. Let it soak for a tiny bit of time before you do the full mix, and then add it in with your meat and work that in there. That gives your meatballs a little more depth, a little more of a, of a fluffy, cushiony kind of feel. And, oh, it's, it's amazing. I've never had meatballs better than my mother's. 
because I think that is one of the keys. And the other key is never skimp on the Parmesan cheese. There is no such thing as putting too much Parmesan cheese in your meatball. So pour that stuff in. Don't be shy. All right. With that, you guys got some meatball tips. Let me know if you make them. Maybe if you reach out to me privately, I'll give you a little more insight into the recipe. But those to me are probably the two biggest keys. So take that, run with it, make some meatballs. Let me know how they come out. In the meantime, I'll let you guys know how we do in Pittsburgh as far as our meals. We'll have plenty more to talk about with the Rangers next week after they play the Capitals and the Penguins. And I don't even remember, but I know they also have a game on Sunday. They've got a lot of games coming up. So we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Already have a guest lined up for you next week. We're going to have a little prospect talk for you. So that should be fun. Something to look forward to as well. In the meantime, you guys enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you soon.